Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning to uh, those watching online as well. We're glad you're joining us. Um, it's great to be back. <laughs> we, uh, we really appreciate the opportunity that the church gives our pastors from time to time uh, to kind of get away and reconnect and, and recharge. And we had an opportunity to do that. And so we are so grateful and so appreciative of our church family that lets us do that occasionally. But I gotta say, it's, it's great to be back too. It's good to be away, but it's great to be back with your, with your church family. If you're just joining us, we're in a series called God Is. There is a deep yearning in the human heart to know God. And I don't just mean know God intellectually in our head, but to, to know him relationally, to know him experientially. And that's what this series is all about, is knowing God, to know him and to worship him as he really is. And today is, is about encountering and knowing at a deeper level the holiness of God. In the mid-1980s, Dr. R.C. Sproul uh, wrote and gave a series of talks, uh, which later became a book called The Holiness of God. And when it was written, and it continues to do this, it struck a, a nerve of revival in a culture that encourages us to put ourselves at the center of the universe rather than acknowledging that God is at the center of all things, not us. In a culture that treats everything with a casualness and an ordinariness in which almost nothing is sacred, nothing is holy. And in the midst of that, these talks by Dr. Sproul just sent a tsunami uh, of, of, of revival and even as Christians who know the holiness of God in a sense, we need a fresh and deeper experience with God's holiness. Some of you may remember uh, a guy named Chuck Colson. Chuck has passed on, he's with the Lord in, in heaven now, but you might remember him as the guy, he went to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal. He was the attorney for President Richard Nixon when all that went down. And, and Colson went to prison for his role in that. But while he was in prison, God found him. <laughs> and Chuck Colson, he, he, was, he was saved. And over the years, God used him as a powerful writer, a powerful speaker, a powerful uh, apologist for the good news of Jesus Christ. He founded Prison Fellowship and for years would lead teams back in to lead men and women to Christ who are in our uh, prison system. But... Chuck said that he had hit, he testified to this many times, he said he had hit a dry spell in his Christian life. And we'll all go through that from time to time. The dark night of the soul, we don't feel close to God, we, 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 we feel dry. He was going through a time like that. And one of his friends had recently come across these talks by Dr. Sproul on the holiness of God. He said, man, you got to you gotta get into these, you gotta, you gotta read these. And he's like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not interested in reading some dry theologian you know, on the attributes of God. I, I don't know, I need something more than that. But he, uh, so he wasn't excited about it. But he said that by the end of the sixth talk, 
He was on his knees. He was on his face on the floor in prayer and worship and awe of a holy God. And it changed the whole trajectory of his life and of his ministry. Because no one can encounter the holiness of God and not be changed at a fundamental level. Do you know God is the Holy One? Have you encountered the holiness of God? What's it like for a human being to encounter the holiness of God? Well, in Isaiah chapter six, God gave the prophet Isaiah a glimpse of his holiness. And I wanna read that brief description. It's super short. It's only seven verses long, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Uh, but hopefully, as we read it and as we look at it for a few minutes, that through the eyes of Isaiah, we can have a fresh encounter with the holiness of God too. And we, I want to lead us to respond to that encounter with the holiness of God also. But let's begin with the scripture, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Would you pray with me just briefly? Father, thank you for giving your servant Isaiah this vision of your holiness impress it into our hearts today that we could encounter your holiness and respond to it also. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask for it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So take a minute, let's just take a minute together and picture this scene. Put yourself in this scene. I mean, this had to have radically changed Isaiah forever to have encountered the holiness of God in the throne room of, of heaven itself. And so just picture yourself as we kind of go through this 
verse by verse, just picture yourself that, you, that we too could have an encounter with the holiness of God through the eyes of Isaiah. Here's the first thing he says. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah sees him as the king and not just any ordinary king or human ruler, but rather as the king of all kings, the one who is high and lifted up. And it says the train of his robe filled the temple. In those days, the length of a king's robe determined the level of his majesty and power. And Isaiah says the train of his robe filled the whole temple. Imagine being in the presence of the king of kings. Imagine just for a second if you were called to stand in the Oval Office, right? To just meet the president of the United States. All the security, all the pomp and circumstance. Can you imagine stepping into the Oval Office and that's a little bit of a tremor, a little bit of a tremble, a little bit of, of, of awe. And that's just before a man just before a human ruler. But Isaiah sees him as the king of kings above the whole earth. Imagine the sense of awe with that. And then it says, above him stood the seraphim, each with six wings. Like this is a strange picture. Each with six wings, with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two he flew. What is, what is that about? <laughs> so the seraphim are created angelic beings, and apparently their mission is to worship before the throne of God 24 Seven. That's the seraphim. It says they cover their face. The reason is so they do not look directly on the face of God because no created thing can look directly on the holiness of God and survive the encounter, right? Remember Moses on Mount Sinai? Moses says, I want to see your face. The Lord says, you can't. You can't fully gaze on my holiness and survive the encounter. And he hid them in the cleft of the rock, right? It'd be like trying to be too close to the sun. It would consume us, could not do. And so the, the seraphim, even though they're sinless, they cover their face in the throne room of God. And then it says they cover their feet because in the Bible, feet, our feet represent our creatureliness because our feet, if you think about it, our feet connect us to the earth. And so, you know, we have a phrase like feet of clay. I just have feet of clay, which means I'm mortal. I'm mortal. God is the creator. We are the creation. We are the creature. And so the seraphim are acknowledging that as they cover their feet in humility. You are the creator of all things. And now here's the content of their worship. It says, one called to another, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, it's significant that their worship repeats the word holy three 
times. The reason is because, you know, if we want to emphasize something, if we're writing and we want to say, hey, this is super important, there's a number of ways we can do that. We can underline something, we can capitalize it, we can bold it, we can draw attention to it. But in the Hebrew language, the way that you emphasize the importance of something is, to, is through repetition, right? So for instance, when Jesus, uh, if I wanna say something is really important in, in the Hebrew vernacular, I would repeat it twice. So that's why Jesus, when he's about to say something important, he'll say, truly, Truly, I say to you, that's a Hebrew way of speaking, saying what I'm about to say to you is very true and you need to listen up. But when something is elevated to the third degree, it is being given the utmost emphasis, the utmost importance. And the seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. No other attribute of God is elevated to the third degree except this one, his holiness. And it's here that we might want to say, well, what, what exactly does the word holy mean? What, you know, we sort of use it, we kind of know what it means, but what does it really mean in its essence? In its most basic sense, what God's holiness means is that he is separate from us. He is above us in every way. He is not like us. It refers to his transcendence, his glory, his, his majesty. When we use the word holy, we often use it in the sense of moral purity, and it certainly encompasses that because that's one of the ways that God is above us and not like us. And it's one of the first things Isaiah recognizes when he's in the presence of God is that he is not a pure man. He's not a clean man. But, the, but holiness means so much more than just that uh, because he is above us and holy and transcendent in, all, in every way. And then it says the whole earth is full of his glory. The glory of God is the manifestation of the holiness of God. Like the rays of the sun, the light that we see is the manifestation of the sun's power. God's glory, the seraphim say, fill the whole earth. It covers the whole earth. How can we not see it and worship when we see his glory filling the whole earth? A few weeks back, we uh, drove up to Coast Guard Beach, which is on Cape Cod National Seashore. And because it's a national seashore, there's no development, right? So it's just wild, wild, pristine shoreline on the Atlantic Ocean, the huge waves crashing down like thunder on the beach. And you know what it's like as a human being, when you stand right on a wild shoreline like that, it does something to your soul, doesn't it? You, you see the manifestation of God's glory and God's holiness, God's power, his might in all that he has made. I, I was reminded as, as I stood there of Psalm 93, 4, which says, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high 
is mighty, right? We can see the mightiness of God in all that he's made. We can sense it in our soul and give him worship. Psalm 96 says, let the sea roar and all that is in it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Picture that scene. All the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. All of creation worships and declares the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God. Man, and as I tell you, as you, as, as you go to the... Sh- ocean this summer, or as you go to the mountains this summer, as you go to the desert this summer. I even think of scientists who have the privilege of studying all the intricacies of creation, from the smallest thing to the, to the largest and greatest thing, the expanses of the universe. And all of it declares the glory and the wisdom and the power and the holiness of God. The whole earth, the seraphim declare is full of his glory. Then verse four says, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. They shook. I I remember Dr. Sproul saying, you know, we are often bored and unmoved in a worship service. But when we truly encounter God's holiness, nothing is unmoved. And we are truly shook. We are shook and everything around us is shook when we encounter the holiness of Almighty God. And now listen to how would you respond? Like if you saw, if this was the vision that you had, the vision of the holiness of God, what is the human response to this? Well, here is Isaiah's response. Here's what happens to him. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says, woe is me. That's not a phrase we use a a lot (laughs) these days, but it's a powerful phrase as Isaiah is using it in the Hebrew. What he is saying when he says, woe is me, he is pronouncing judgment upon himself. He's saying, I am under the judgment of almighty God, and I know it, and I, I deserve to, to be vaporized in his presence. Woe is me. Woe is me. And he says, he says, I am lost. Some translations say, I am coming undone. I am coming, it literally means I'm coming apart at the seams. Total disintegration of my person. I cannot survive in the presence of a holy, of a holy God. I'm coming apart. Isaiah would have been considered the most righteous man in the nation. But before the standard of the the holiness of God, all he can do is declare judgment upon himself and say, I'm coming, I'm coming undone. I imagine Isaiah sprawled out prostrate in the face of what he had seen. So what's going to happen in this moment? An unclean person 
sees the holiness of Almighty God, what's going to happen? Well, God orders in that moment the seraphim to take a hot coal from the sacrificial altar and touch the lips of Isaiah and declare his sin atoned for. God has to touch him to make him holy. And so my prayer, man, as I meditated on this this week, my prayer is, God, give me a fresh encounter with your holiness, with your majesty. And as I encounter it, would it change me? Because when a person encounters the holiness of God, three responses are always present. And the more I know God's holiness, the more in, in a greater way, these responses will be present. Can I share them with you, these three responses? Because we don't want to just, we want to encounter the holiness of God. We want to be changed by the holiness of God. These are the human responses to God's holiness. You ready? Here's the first one. It's awareness of my sin. Awareness of my sin. That, this is exactly what happens to Isaiah, right? That's the only thing he can do when he encounters the holiness of God, to say, woe is me, I'm coming undone, I deserve to die. <laughs> it's interesting, there's a phrase that we use for people who come across as they have it all together and they're always being judgy of other people. We, the phrase we use for that is, uh, they're, they're a holier than thou kind of person. And we don't use it as a compliment. We use it as a derogatory phrase, holier than thou. Here's the irony of the whole thing, is that when a person really encounters the holiness of God, self-righteousness is vaporized. It cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. Again, Isaiah, the most righteous man in the nation, and yet before, when he encountered God's holiness, all he could say is, I'm a sinful man. I'm an unclean man. If I think that I deserve heaven because I'm a decent person, because I'm a decent guy, I've never, woman, I have never encountered the holiness of God. We have no claim on heaven. Our only response would be, woe is me, judgment upon me when we encounter the holiness of God. All we can say is, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The more that I encounter God's holiness, the more grateful and thankful and appreciative I am of God's grace through the lamb of God. That is the human response to the holiness of God. Self-righteousness vaporized. Thinking I'm a good guy and God will wink when I see him face to face, gone, vaporized. The only thing is the merit of Jesus Christ applied to our life. No one stands before God on their own merit. Isaiah didn't. I can't. You can't. None of us can stand before God on our own merit. It is only through Jesus Christ. And that's why I need the second response, which is this. Ask God to touch me and make me holy. Because we can't be holy on our own. 
ask God to touch me and make me holy. See, this is what happens to Isaiah, right? God in his grace touches his lips with a coal from the sacrificial altar and says your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Because something can only become holy when a holy God touches it and makes it holy. That's the only way something can become holy. God has to touch it. And that is exactly what's happening when Jesus touches the leper in Luke chapter five. <laughs> in, in, in this account, see, under the law, if a person would touch a leper, that person would then become unclean. The uncleanness transmits to the person who touches them. But what happens in this story is that Jesus, as the Son of God, touches the leper, but the uncleanness doesn't come to Jesus. Rather, the cleanness of the Lamb of God comes on the leopard, and he is made clean. He is made holy. Listen, listen to the account, Luke 5, verse 12. says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's a statement of faith. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Don't miss the significance of that. Touched him saying, I will be clean. See, each of us is like the leper. And what Jesus gave the leper in Luke 5, he will give to you. He can make you clean. He's no respecter of persons. What he did for the leper that day, he will do to every man and woman, every child who says, I am unclean, would you make me clean? And Jesus says, I will be clean, and we receive the touch of God. He makes us holy. He's the one who makes us holy. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. He puts a new heart in us. And then we are called to walk inside of the holiness that he has provided. That's what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 1 when he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, and now he quotes from the Old Testament and the book of Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so look, here's the response that's being called for. If we don't yet know the Lord, if we don't yet recognize him as savior, to say in our heart, I am an unclean man, I am an unclean woman. Lord, would you touch me and make me holy? Because I have no capacity to be holy on my own. I cannot survive in the presence of a holy God. Would you make me holy? And Jesus says to you, I will be clean, be healed. And he'll do that for you. If I've already been born again, if I know the Lord, then my response is, Lord, you are holy. 
And the more that I know you, the more I see my remaining sin. Would you please help me to walk in the holiness that you have provided for me? Help me to walk in that. Here's the third response. We want to end with this. The third response of the human heart when we encounter the holiness of God, and that is awe-filled worship and reverence. And that's what we see in Isaiah 6, right? The seraphim are worshiping before the throne. They're worshiping the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You know, there's a parallel passage to this in the book of Revelation, chapters four and five, because the apostle John on the island of Patmos is given a vision of the holiness of God, given a vision of the throne room of God, just like Isaiah was given that vision. And the apostle John sees all of the created beings in heaven around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But there is one essential difference in John's vision from Isaiah's vision. And that is John sees Jesus, the son of God, standing before the throne and he sees him as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then all of heaven breaks into a new song of worship in Revelation 4 and 5, singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain, whose blood has ransomed people from every nation, every tribe, and every language under the sun. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who take refuge in the lamb of God shall be saved. And we are called to join our voice in that same worship. The holiness of God drives us to worship. Psalm 96, 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. May we be shook in his presence. I can encounter his holiness and not fall on my knees in worship because he is worthy of it all. And we get to worship. We come together as God's people on Sunday. I mean, we praise the Lord. We lift his name high together, but it doesn't have to be limited to Sunday. His praise can be on our lips all through the day. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty and worthy is the lamb who was slain. You know, as we end, I, I just want to say one other thing, and I, and I want to bring this up because I think it's, it's the opposite of the worship of Almighty God. And that is when we use the name of God and the name of Jesus as a curse. How do I use God's name in my speech? See, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if God is reverenced in my heart as holy, then his name on my lips will be holy. If God is not reverenced in my heart as holy, then his name will not be on my lips as holy. And I don't have to tell you 
We live in a time in which the name of our Savior, the name of Jesus, the name of Almighty God is used as a swear word. It's used as a curse word. And we almost become desensitized to it. It's on TV constantly. All around us. And it should cause us to recoil when the name of Jesus is slandered, the name of God is used as a curse word. May he be reverenced on our heart and may he be reverenced on our lips that as God's people, we would hallow his name, right? That's the first request of the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. And so may it be true of us. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lead us in prayer together that we would respond to God's holiness as the scripture directs us to do. And then we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing that song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then I'll come back out and I'll invite us to take communion and we'll do that as a church family before we dismiss today. All right, but first, pause with me in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we love you and we want a fresh encounter with your holiness today. Would you give us a fresh vision, a fresh sense of the holy, your majesty, your glory? Would you give us that vision that you gave your servant Isaiah? Would you implant it in our heart that we would see you as the king of kings, the one on the throne, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who's the train of your robe fills the temple, the seraphim worship. In fact, all of creation worships the holiness of God and everything trembles in your presence. We want to know you as the Holy One of God. And Lord, we ask that you would help us put ourselves in proper perspective as we encounter your holiness. That our remaining sin, you would reveal to us any self-righteousness that is in our heart, any human pride, any thinking that somehow I can just be a good guy, a decent person and merit heaven. May that be vaporized as we encounter your holiness. And what we ask for is a touch from Almighty God. Touch my lips, touch my heart. I can't make myself holy, only you can make me holy. And if you've never accepted Christ as your savior, just call out to him today in your heart. Say, Lord, I'm an, I'm an unclean man. I'm an unclean woman. I can't make myself clean, but you can. Would you touch me and heal me? Give me a new heart. Put your Holy Spirit within me. And in that very moment of calling out to him, He's touching you. He's saying, I will, I want to be clean. 
and you receive that by faith in your heart, and as God's people who've already received that, Lord, we, we ask that you would help us to walk in greater holiness, because you are holy, and your Holy Spirit is in us. Help us walk in what you've already given us. And now we ask that a spirit of worship would fall upon us, that we in reverence would worship you as the Holy One, high and lifted up. We worship you. We thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We declare worthy is the Lamb of God. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together.